uh, open up your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture uh, together today, and uh, several of them will not be on the screen uh, for you, and, uh, so, but this will be the first one that we look at together. And I have, as I've mentioned already, it's not been a, it's not been a well week uh, at our house. And uh, so I'm, I'm probably not going to be running around all over the stage like I often do. Um, but I might get a little fired up here and there. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I apologize in advance uh, for potential coughing that may come as a result of this. I've been trying to avoid people and not not shake hands. I've been fist bumping this morning. Uh, it's not that I don't love you. I'm fist bumping because I do love you. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we began a series uh, called Spring Training. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a weird winter. Uh, we've missed a couple of, of uh, services here because of snow and ice. And two weeks ago when we began this one, uh, we had a snow that came, and, and a lot of you weren't able to make it out uh, two weeks ago when we started this series. Then last week, we had uh, our Youth Sunday, and by the way, fantastic job by our, our youth group. If, if you missed last Sunday, if you missed last Sunday, you missed a blessing. You, you really did. Uh, it was Time Change Sunday. That's always a challenge for a lot of people, but for those of you who got here, you know that it was worth making the extra effort to get up that extra hour early uh, to be here because they, they truly blessed us last week. Uh, so, but we didn't have a full crowd here two weeks ago because of the weather, and then we skipped a week, and so some of you might not really be all that clear about what spring training is. And uh, so two weeks ago, I, I mentioned five things that we're going to focus in uh, during the course of spring training. Uh, they were common goals. Uh, it was teamwork, it was discipline, it was sacrifice and care. And so this morning, we want to focus in on the first one of those, which is common goals. We want to talk about common goals this morning. Why are we here? Why are we here? So before I begin to answer that question, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this church that you have given us. God, we thank you for the multitude of blessings that uh, we see here each week. God, what incredible talent we see on this platform, uh, such incredible inspired musicians and, and the way that they lead us in worship, God, for all of those people that we don't see every Sunday who are back ministering to our children, uh, for those who care for each other in, in Sunday sync. Lord, there's just so many different ways that we experience your blessing here each week. I pray that we'll begin to see it in fresh, fresh light and, and with fresh eyes this morning. Uh, God, bless your word, bless this time that we have together. Uh, we give it to you humbly in Jesus' name, amen. So every year in the end of February, there's about 30 Major League Baseball teams uh, that begin to assemble themselves together to prepare for the upcoming season. And when they do that, I can promise you that there is not a single one of those 30 teams that is unsure about why they're there. I promise you that every one of those teams, all of those players, all of those coaches, all of those fans are assembling there and they're gathering there and they know that they have one 
overriding, overarching goal. There's no iffiness, there's no vagueness, there's no uncertainty. And, and listen, they don't think that they're there to just hang out with each other. They don't think that they're there to get a better suntan. They don't think that they're there to see who can spit a sunflower seed the farthest. Now, all those things may happen, but they know that's not why they're there. They know that they're there so that their team can get better together in order to have a chance to win the World Series. If you ask any team, when they get there for spring training, what's their goal? The, every one of them will tell you the exact same thing. And by the way, congratulations to you Cardinal fans. You're doing much better today than you did two weeks ago. It looked a little slack two weeks ago. I was a little, little disappointed in all you Cardinal fans. So those of you who showed up in Cardinal gear, good for you this morning. All right. So every year you show up expecting to win the World Series. And, and you're going, okay, coach, fine, I get that. That's no surprise. Everybody understands that. But what in the world does that have to do with church? I mean, that's Major League Baseball. We're church. I agree with that for them. But what sense does that make for us here at church on a Sunday morning? Why in the world are we talking about that? It may make sense to you that they have a goal for that, and they all agree on that, but they, you may not think that that's important here at church. Well, I would suggest to you this morning that if, if you do believe that, the writers of the New Testament would disagree with you. I'm going to put a few verses on the screen for you this morning. We alluded to these uh, two weeks ago. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, all the believers were, what's the next word? Together and had everything in what? Common. They were all together and had everything in common. Listen, this may sound stupid, but I don't mean it to be stupid. You can't be together unless you're together. You can't have everything in common unless you are pursuing something in common. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters works as a what? Team for the what? Same purpose. They work as a team for the same purpose. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, then Paul says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working what? Together with what? One heart and one purpose. Apparently, the writers of the New Testament thought that the people in the church ought to recognize that there is one overriding goal, one overriding purpose for the church. Which brings us to our focus this morning and the question that I want to answer, what is the common goal of the church? Why, why are we actually here this morning? Now, if I were to put out a survey this morning, and, and distribute it to everybody here in the church, and everybody took the time to answer, I would promise you we would get a bunch of different answers. Now, I don't know how many different they would be. There might be 10, 12, 15, there might be 20, it might be as many as 30 or 40 different answers about the main purpose that we're here. Now, 
I would probably suggest that almost all of those answers would probably have good intentions behind them. I mean, they would probably all be good goals. They'd probably all be good intentions. But hear me and write, in fact, write this down. Good intentions or good goals do not make them God intentions or God goals. You understand that, church? Just because it's a good intention, just because it's a good goal, that doesn't mean that it's a God goal or a God intention. And so, like every team at spring training, every so often we have to circle back around and come back to answer some of the basic questions about why we're here and what we're doing. One of the greatest basketball coaches of the modern era and maybe of all time is Coach K at Duke University. They just won the ACC championship last night, and they may, they may very well uh, have a team to win another national championship uh, for college basketball. That craziness starts uh, this week, which is always a fun time. Duke has won five national championships under Coach K, one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. And he said, he said this. It's important to remind yourself and your team of the essential building blocks of the game and to ensure that you continue to practice and improve on these. And then he says this, these building blocks are like the soil from which your skills grow. Practice will keep that soil fertile. In other words, he said every year, no matter how good my basketball team is, no matter how great my players are, when they come in, there are certain things that we're going to come back to and we're going to go back to the basics and we're going to focus on those because it is in focusing on those that we wind up becoming better at everything else. And Coach K is not the only coach that understands this. Hey, Gary Sessions, am I right? Every coach who is worth his salt knows that at the beginning of every season, no matter how good the players are, there are some things that you've got to come back to and reemphasize over and over and over again because everything else depends on those few very, very basic things. And so this morning, as a part of our spring training focus and emphasis on the basics, we're going to revisit why we're here. Now, I, as your coach and your pastor, I have always believed, along with Christian leaders and church leaders uh, from, from Jesus' time on down, that Jesus Christ himself instituted some of the most important goals for the church, every church that has ever existed, including Orchardville Church. Open your Bible, Matthew chapter 22. I believe these are non-negotiable purposes and priorities for every church, and there are two of them that I want to focus on right now. They are called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. These will not be new to you this morning. But I want, to, want us to revisit them. So Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 
37, Jesus was asked about uh, what's the greatest commandment in verse 36, and Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, you know what Jesus was just saying here? All right, so you guys have spent decades and decades, hundreds of years from the giving of the law of Moses and Mount Sinai, where I gave 10 commandments. And since those 10 commandments were given to you, you've added to those laws uh, so many different things. You've got over 600 different ways that you're trying to fulfill those 10 basic laws that I gave you. But let, rather than giving you more, let me, let me summarize it and narrow it down to just two. Everything that you've heard in the law, everything that you've heard from the prophets from that time forward really boils down to these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, if you don't understand that as, as Jesus giving us a recipe for life, you're missing something. Because the recipe for a successful and, and fulfilling life is not more, more, more. It's less, less, less. Mm, somebody ought to say amen to that. You know, we are in the locker room, right? It's okay for the team to get rowdy in the locker room. Right? It's okay for the team to get rowdy in the locker room. The idea for a, a satisfying life isn't more and constantly adding to. It is simplifying and making it more simple. And Jesus said everything that you've heard in the Old Testament up till right now could be summarized in those two things. Now flip over to the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Just a few pages over. And this is after the resurrection. This is just before Jesus returns to his Father in heaven. He was gathered with his disciples on the mountain. And in verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In these two passages of Scripture, the great commandment and the great commission, Christ reveals the two primary reasons and the two primary goals and purposes for any church. They're wrapped up in the great commandment and the great commission. And you could put it this way, to number one, win the lost. Number two, bring them into the community of the church, the community of faith. Number three, disciple them. And number four, equip them to serve. That's the goal. That's the goal of the church. That's why we're here, to win the lost. Now, listen, let me be something really, really clear about something. I know a lot of times there's this, there's this kind of dual debate goes on in churches all over the place. Well, maybe, you know, we're really about discipleship. We're about growing people in the faith, and it's really not about reaching the lost. I dare to differ. 
Because I think the heart of Jesus Christ would disagree with you if you believe that. Because you know what? You can't disciple anyone if you don't win them first. Amen? Yeah, thank you for that. You can't disciple somebody until you win them to Christ. Our number one goal is to win people to the Lord. And in this passage of scripture, he tells us to go out and win the lost, bring them into the community of faith, then disciple them in the things of the Lord, and then equip them to go and serve. You go, well, Coach Mark, what does is, what is the great uh, commandment have to do with that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Here's what it has to do with it. You want to know how to fulfill the great commandment? Live out the great commission. Did you catch that? You know, people hear that all the time about the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, how in the world do you do that? Have you ever wondered that? How do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Really? How do you do that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Really? How do you do that? Live out the great commission. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Because when you go win the lost... You are loving them as yourself. When you win the lost, you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you bring them in the community, you are loving your neighbor as yourself. You're loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you understand how that works? If you've ever wondered how to live the great commandment, live the great commission. So we win them. We bring them into community. We bring them to salvation. We build them up in their faith. We prepare them to serve. We equip them for that. And then we send them out. We release them to serve. And here at, here at Orchardville, we express that as a three words that you know well. Reach, teach, and serve. Say it with me. Reach, teach, and serve. One more time. Reach, teach, and serve. Church, that's it. That's it. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. But see, the problem is, is as days go by and initiatives come and go and, and new ministries come and go and seasons come and go, you know what happens? Is we, get, we start to get a little confused. We start to get a little cloudy about what the main thing actually is. How many of you have ever heard, keep the main thing the main thing? Have you heard that? Yeah. Keep the main thing the main thing. Church, this is the main thing. It is to win the lost. That is the overriding, unchanging mission of Jesus Christ to reach the world with his message. And just in case you're still not really convinced of that, Turn back to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we read this. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What, is, what, what does the word gospel mean? What, good news. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The good news 
that you need a Savior and Jesus has come to save you. He went preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now listen, there are some, there are some churches that believe in social justice. Now listen, God is a God of justice, is he not? There are people who believe, let's go out and let's meet needs in the community and let's just love on them. Did God meet needs and love on them? Yes, he did. But what was his main goal? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Do you understand that, church? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It is not about making ourselves feel good. It is not about putting band-aids on wounds. Do those things matter? Yes, they do. But the only thing that matters for eternity is a saved soul. So when Jesus went out, he didn't go out to just make people feel good about themselves. He went out to say, let me share with you the only thing that will ultimately ever matter. It is the kingdom of the gospel of heaven or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you know, do you you see who Jesus was moved with compassion for? It wasn't the religious who thought they had it all together. It wasn't the religious who were dissatisfied with this or dissatisfied with that. Jesus' heart of compassion was moved toward the people who were like a sheep without a shepherd who needed a Savior and could recognize it. Luke chapter 15 is a chapter that so many of us are familiar with and we love because Rick referenced it last week in the prodigal son. Luke 15 has the story of the prodigal son. But Luke 15 really is it's the lost chapter. Because everything in Luke 15 is about what was lost. See, in Luke chapter 15, you have the story of the lost sheep, the 90 and 9, right? You know that story? He leaves the 90 and 9 to find the one. There's also in that chapter the story of the lost coin. The woman who lost her coin turned her house upside down to find one coin. Now, I don't know about you, but Man, if I drop a dime or a penny or something, I ain't turning my house upside down to find that thing. It just don't mean that much to me. But this woman turned her whole house upside down looking for that one thing. And then the prodigal son was the lost son. What is that all about? What do those three things have in common? They were all lost. And in chapter 15 of Luke, the gospel of Luke, what you see is the heart of Jesus. It is what he is passionate about. He is passionate about finding lost things. He will turn heaven and earth upside down to go find something that was lost instead of worrying about what's already been found. And too many times in our churches... We gather and we get all concerned about making sure that we're taking care of what's already been found. 
And we forget that Jesus said, hey, you've been found. Go out and find others. And when we do that, we are living the great commandment because we're fulfilling the great commission. And you know what? We forget all about making ourselves satisfied and making ourselves happy because we are feeling the good pleasure of our God. There is nothing like seeing people come to Jesus. Nothing. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a story that almost all of you here this morning are probably familiar with. This is Jesus encountering the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. In the first 26 verses of, of this chapter, this, this encounter goes from a discussion about water to a discussion about water that would quench this woman's thirst forever. Now, one of the things that I think sometimes people gloss over and they don't understand because maybe the Bible, the Scriptures don't always reveal this and you have to dig a little bit to understand it. But honestly, this was a scandalous encounter. This woman, first of all, she's a woman, and that matters. Women were second-class citizens in, in Bible times. They were not people that men would engage with. And on top of that, this was a Samaritan woman, and Samaritan uh, people were looked down upon tremendously by the Jewish people. Uh, people of God that like the Samaritans were half-breeds. They'd sort of turned their back on God. And now the, the, the people who are properly Jewish, they wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. So she already had two strikes against her. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. And she is a woman out in the middle of the day. Now to you and me, that means nothing. But in Bible times, People didn't go out like that in the middle of the day. It was too hot. You know why she was out there? Because she had a bad reputation. Bad reputation. For her being out there in the middle of the day, that'd be like some woman being out at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. When we think of women with bad reputations out at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, we have a pretty good idea of what they're doing. This is not somebody that Jesus had any business speaking to. And to put it in, in sort of modern terms, he might as well have been speaking to Stormy Daniels. This would probably fit in that criteria. So here's Jesus walking up to this woman who's been through a whole bunch of men already, is living with another one, and she's out in the middle of the day, so she doesn't have to deal with any of the nonsense that goes on because she's out there getting water. She doesn't want to deal with any of the guys today. And Jesus, a good Jewish rabbi, walks up and begins to engage her in a conversation. This was scandalous to the nth degree. But you know what? Jesus wasn't concerned about the color of her skin 
or her background or what side of the track she was from or what her history looked like or what she had done. All that mattered was he knew that like every other human that has ever breathed air, she needed a savior. And so he begins the conversation with her. Let's pick up the story in verse 27. Chapter 4, verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled. They talked with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek, and why are you talking with her? They were, they were, they were a little scared. They were really uncertain. I, I, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, sort of a political uh, advisor whose candidate is out doing something, you know, that looks a little iffy, and they're going, no, this is not good PR. You should not be doing this. But they didn't want to step into the middle of it, so they're going there, going, wringing their hands, going, what do we do now? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Don't you find that interesting? She left the very thing she came to take care of. She left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you don't know. And they started looking around for McDonald's bags or Burger King bags. Like, and did, did we, did, was that in town? We didn't even know that was in town. I have food to eat you don't even know. And therefore, his disciples said, did somebody bring him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. See, while Jesus was saying this, you know what was happening? That woman had gone into town and she had talked to those men and she said, you got to come see this. You got to come meet this man. And you know what's happening? Streams of people were coming. They were coming. You know, you know what I see, church? I look over here and I see these doors and I see these doors closed. And you know what? What this feels like to me when I read this story in the scripture, I see doors that should be open and at the church that as people go out and we leave here and we start to tell, hey, you got to come see this guy. Maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's Jesus. Maybe he's the one that can change everything about your world. And we pop these doors open and people begin to stream into this place to meet and hear about the one who can change their world. Can you see that, church? Can you see, do you want to see that? People streaming in, streaming in. Jesus says, look, look, the fields are white to harvest. Why? Because he went out and he engaged in a conversation with a woman about the deepest need of her soul. And she couldn't. she couldn't wait to go tell somebody else. She even dropped what she was doing and went. And said, hey, you got to come see this. 
you got to come hear this. The harvest is now. And we keep reading in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And then many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, she, she won them over just by her passion. But then they came and they heard Jesus, and they were even more convinced. Basically, almost a whole city was won to Christ because of a woman who Christ took the time to connect with where she was at. So I want to take a quick look at the process that Jesus engaged in there that we can learn from. Number one is initiate contact. Initiate contact. You know why? Because God's an initiator. God's an initiator. When he created uh, Adam and Eve, he came to the earth, right? He came down to spend time with Adam. He, he came to the earth to win us back to him. God is an initiator. Establish common ground. As Jesus was talking to her, they began to talk about water and how, how he could turn that conversation because he understood what she was there to, to accomplish. And you know what? Jesus did the same thing with us because the Bible says that he took on flesh. Jesus took on flesh so he could establish common ground with you and me, with mankind. So establish common ground, then listen and allow others to speak. There's an old saying that all of you know. People don't care how much they know, how much you know until they know how much you what? Care. And you know how you can un help them understand how much you care is when you listen and you let them speak. See, if you're just, hey, you got to hear this, you got to hear this, let me tell you this, let me tell you that. Well, you're just telling them what you know. But if you will establish that you care, then you will win an audience and arouse interest. As you're talking to them, arouse interest. And you know how people go, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. Just ask a couple questions. Just ask questions. You think, have you ever thought about, then fill in the blank. Or what if, fill in the blank. As you're talking to somebody about the, their life, and they're, they're telling you about the things that they're struggling with, you know, have you ever thought that maybe, maybe the best answer to that is God? You're not telling them. You're arousing their interest. Have, have, you, have you ever thought that maybe if... if if you take a week and come to church, then maybe God would speak to you and help to start bringing some of those things to clarity in your mind. Have you ever thought that? The next one is take others only as far as they're ready to go. I've often said it this way. When, when fruit is ripe, you don't have to yank it off the tree. Right? When it's ripe, you don't have to yank it off the tree. When it's ripe, you touch it and it falls. You take people only as far as they're willing to go because that's not your job. The Holy Spirit is the, has the job of conviction. Our job is the harvest. 
and we touch the fruit, we test it, and we only go as far as it's ready to go. And when God says the harvest is now, then it will drop. Then last, accept others where they are. And I think this is such a hard one for, for those of us in the church, and I think we've given a really bad impression to the world in, in general, is that they don't think that we're willing to meet them where they are. Jesus was always willing to meet people where they are. You understand that? Jesus was always willing to meet people where they are. And we have to be willing as a church to meet people in their mess where they are and then point them to Jesus. Now listen, church, you may have noticed that this really interesting conversation that Jesus had that led to a, almost an entire city getting saved, it didn't take place on a Sunday morning. It didn't take place at church. Church is an entry point for a lot of people who are beginning to explore who God is. The claims that we say that He makes. It's, it's a place where people come, come and they can start hearing for themselves. Is that true? And at the same time, it's a place for those of us who have already come to that conclusion that God is the answer, where we are refueled and we're fed. But those conversations that begin that process of people streaming in, you know when that happens? That happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. As we do life with people who still need the answers that only Jesus can provide. And if you think that Sunday is the only time and the only place that happens, then I and the leaders of this church have failed you because this is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday occupation. And Sunday, we come together to try to help people make that final step. This is about the heart of Jesus. I'm going to ask our worship team to come to the platform. This is about being able to reach people where they are and then begin to move them toward faith in Christ. And Orchardville, I just want to remind you, this is why we exist. This is why we're here. And, and it is a never-ending, never-changing goal. When baseball teams show up for spring training, even if they won the World Series last year or the year before that, they don't think, eh, well, that's not our goal this year. You know, eh, it's no big deal. We won the World Series. We don't need to do it again. You think any team thinks that? If there's a player that thinks that, he won't make the team. Our goal to win the lost, to bring them in, to train them up, equip them to serve. It is a never-ending, never-changing goal. We don't, we don't put banners on the wall proclaiming the championships and then sit back and relax and go, look how great we were. Did you hear that? It's not about how great we were. It's about how great God is. And we will never stop being a place that is all about seeing people one to Jesus if 
we follow the heartbeat of Jesus. And we will never stop being a place that points people to Jesus until Jesus comes again. There's five weeks to Easter. Who are you reaching? Five weeks to Easter. Who are you reaching? Who's ready to stream through that door because you've been doing life with them? You've been telling them, you got to meet this God that I know. He can change everything about your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're one of those people been trying to check out who God is. And through the worship that's happened this morning and the word and the heart of Jesus that's been expressed realize what you really need the answer that you need is Jesus